Um, great to have everyone here. We're, we are in the book of Exodus. Um, it's been crazy. This is part nine. Um, it, it feels like, for some people, it feels like we've been in Exodus forever. It's like, are we ever leaving? <laughs> Did you get that joke? Okay. Um, <laughs> have we left yet? Have we left yet? Um, but we are coming to an end. Um, we're in this book of Exodus where we've seen God rescue his people out of Egypt, the Israelites, out of slavery and oppression, and he takes them out and he's leading them to the promised land. Last week we saw the Israelites come to a place called Mount Sinai where we saw God come down and meet his people. And he gives them what we know as the Ten Commandments. And if you keep reading... Exodus chapter 20, 21 and onwards, what you find is you find over 600 different laws that God gives. And these weren't given. It's not rules and regulations to limit God's people, but they're rules and guidance to actually free up God's people. And this is the way that God's people would differentiate themselves from the other nations of the world as God's treasured possessions. And so we're going to continue the story in Exodus chapter 25. And um, yeah, let's, let's read Exodus 25, 1 to 9 together. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering from, for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the lights, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So let's pause there. So God's given the Israelite people the Ten Commandments and then the 600 rules and regulations. And what he's doing is saying, look, this is the culture I want. This is the people that I want you to be. And he's given them these rules. And then after this, he instructs Moses to gather the people to create what is called the tabernacle. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight, the tabernacle. Now, the Hebrew word tabernacle literally means the tent of meaning or the dwelling place. God instructs Moses to create this tent of meaning so that it would be a sanctuary for God and that he would, he would dwell there. In one sense, what God is saying is, I want you to create a place for me, a home for me, that I can come and dwell in. Now, we're going to talk more about the significance of this later, but the instructions that God gives goes from Exodus chapter 25 to 30, right? These are just the instructions, right? Six chapters of instructions of how to build this tent and all the things that go in the tent. And then in Exodus 35 to 40, another six chapters, we see that the Israelite people go and actually obey and construct what we now know as the tabernacle. Now, that's 12 chapters. Now, if I was to be here to read those 12 chapters, half of you wouldn't make it. I'm just saying. You would be praying that God would come right now. 
So what we're going to do is we're going to watch a video that explains or just gives an overview of what the tabernacle is. Now, before we go to it, focus on the specifics of what it is, okay? Okay, just look at all the bits and pieces, okay? And, and we'll, we'll join in after the video goes. Let's go to the video. It's a kid's video, by the way. Just your when level. Moses was on the mountain with God, God said, Tell the Israelites to make a tabernacle for me so that I may dwell among them. God gave Moses very specific instructions for building a tabernacle. The tabernacle would be a really big tent that the Israelites could take with them. The tabernacle would be where God met his people. Make it exactly like I show you, God said. So Moses gathered all the Israelites together. He told them everything God had said. He asked them to bring materials, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, fine linen and goat hair, animal skins, wood, oil, spices, and gemstones. God gave two men, Bezalel and Aholiab, special skills for building and creating things. Bezalel, Aholiab, and all the other skilled craftsmen came together to build a tabernacle for God. At the same time, people kept bringing offerings of what they had. Pretty soon, the craftsmen came to Moses and said, the people are bringing more than enough. We don't need all of this. So Moses told the Israelites to stop bringing their offerings. They built the tabernacle just as God had instructed. The tabernacle had 10 curtains made out of linen and each curtain was 42 feet long. 11 curtains made out of goat hair formed a tent over the tabernacle. Inside the tabernacle, the people made a veil. They made an ark, a table, a lampstand, and many other parts. Every part had its special purpose and was made just as God had said. When the time came, God told Moses how to set up the tabernacle. God told him how to anoint the tabernacle so that it would be holy. Anoint means to pour oil on. God told Moses to bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tabernacle. Aaron put on the holy garments and Moses anointed him to be priest. Aaron's sons were also anointed to serve God as priests. Moses did exactly what God commanded, and the tabernacle was finally finished. God had led the Israelites from a cloud, and now the cloud covered the tabernacle. God's glory filled the tabernacle. God made a sign for the people. If the cloud covered the tabernacle, the people would stay where they were. When the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the Israelites would move and take the tabernacle with them. The cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle during the day, and fire was inside the cloud at night. All the Israelites could see it as they traveled. God instructed the Israelites to build a tabernacle where he would dwell with them. God desires to be with his people. As part of his plan to save sinners, God sent Jesus to tabernacle or dwell 
with people on Earth. All right. Sorry, I forgot to say it was a kid's video. It was a, it was a great video. Um, there's four things that I want us to understand in, in the instruction of the building of the tabernacle and then the construction of it. Um, four insights. Uh, first one is this. Um, it, it's asking the question, how was the construction funded? And the first point is this, God requested an offering. Uh, Exodus 25, verse 1 to 2, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. Now, if you remember back in the story of Exodus, when when the Israelite people were in Egypt, there was this, um, you know, they're slaves, right? And, and one thing slaves don't have is what? Money. Right? Slaves don't get to have money. Slaves don't get to be rich, right? And, and, and pretty much while they were slaves, they had nothing. But if you remember in the whole Passover story, before they came out, God instructed the Israelites to go up to their Egyptian neighbors and say, hey, can I borrow 10 bucks? Can I borrow 50 bucks? Can I borrow your pot? Can I borrow your cow? Can I borrow your, 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 your toothbrush? I'll give it back to you tomorrow. I'll give it back to you tomorrow. I'll give it back to you tomorrow. And then the Israelite, the, the Egyptians were like, yeah, sure, you know, just give it back to me tomorrow. And then the Israelites took it, and then that night they left Egypt. And suddenly they were rich, right? Because how does slaves, how does slaves fund what was mentioned as the tabernacle? They can't. But you gotta remember, this is what God had prepared for them even before they left Egypt, that they were to plunder the Egyptians. Um, God doesn't command, uh, this is really important, God doesn't command, bring me your stuff, bring me your money, bring me your, um, your offering. But, but he, 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 this is what he says, an offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. Now, I'll tell you the truth. I feel like I'm going to be preaching three different mini-sermons today and trying to put them all together. But the first one, we, we need to understand this, uh, the way that God um, funded the tabernacle was he was willing to receive an offering from those that were willing to give it. 2 Corinthians 9.7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Did you know it was never God's intention to burden his people to build stuff for him? Or it was never God's intention to say, hey, you need to give your offering as we grumbled and complained. It says everyone whose heart prompts them to give. And this is a really important lesson for us as we give to God. When we give, uh, do we give reluctantly? What I mean by reluctantly is when you give, are you thinking about, oh man, I could use this money in a different way. Oh man, like I feel so like, man, I could put this money somewhere else. Or out of compulsion. You know what out of compulsion is? It's when, we don't do this, right? But a lot of churches, they pass around the offering basket. 
right? Out of compulsion is that you didn't think about what you were going to give. The, the basket's coming and you see it coming to you. So what do you do? You, you pull out your wallet. And if we're honest, we pull out our wallet and we look for the smallest note that we have. And sometimes we forget that it's church and because we're super rich and loaded, we've just got greens, right? Only, see, see, half of you didn't get that joke because you, you just don't live at that level. That's okay, okay? I don't live at that level either. I live at blues at best, oranges maybe, right? And then you're like, oh, whatever's in my wallet, I'll give. And what God's saying is, no, no, I don't, I don't want that offering. That's out of compulsion. I want you to think about what you want to give to me. I want you to think about what you're going to offer me. And I want you to give it cheerfully. See, when we give, it's an act of worship. It's an act of surrender and exaltation at the same time. When we give financially, we give up what is already in our pocket. That's the act of surrender. And we give as an act of exaltation to say, God, you deserve this. That's what the act of giving is. And so when we give, we give freely and we give joyfully. This was for the Israelites back then, and this is now for us as well. It's a lesson just on giving that we're meant to give cheerfully and with joy. And in the video you saw, and, and, and the story tells that the Israelite people, they were so generous in their giving that actually they had to tell them, hey, guys, stop giving. We've got enough. Now, that has never, ever happened in the church. I wish it did. I wish I could tell you guys, thank you so much for being so generous in your offering, but we just have so much money. Please stop giving to us. We're not there yet. Maybe we'll get there one day. But more importantly, when you give, give out of cheer, give out of joy, give out of surrender, give out of exaltation of our God. That's how the Israelites funded the building of the tabernacle. The second thing that we need to understand is that God's house is built on God's terms. God doesn't command Moses, Moses, I want you to go build me a dwelling place. Just go find something. Just find some space, kind of put some curtains up. You work it out. If you actually read Exodus 25 to 30, it is so specific on what God wants for his house designed to be. And to break it down, there are 17 specific items that God gives instruction for. I said, not going to go through them all. But God literally tells Moses, I want you to build this out of this. And I want you to put up like this next to this. 17 times. It is so specific what he wants and how he wants it. Something that we need to understand from this and understand from that design is that this dwelling place for God was designed by God and not by man. Each piece of the tent was instructed and constructed specifically according to God's instruction and purpose. And in the same way, when we go to God, we must go to God under His terms and His conditions, not ours. But too many times we want to run the show. How many times when we pray or when we give or when we turn up to church, it's not about God, but it's about us. God, I only have $20 left this week, so therefore I will offer you $20. God, I'm running late, so this week I'm not going to go to church, but next week I promise you I'll get there 10 minutes early. When we go to God for some reason, right? 
We think that we have the right to make our own rules. Listen to this, right? Uh, I think this example, I'll give you two examples. One, you can't turn up to McDonald's. Someone was saying that I use McDonald's as an example too much. I'm waiting for the sponsorship deal to come, guys. <laughs> okay? You can't turn up to McDonald's or whatever fast food joint you like, right? You can't turn up and go, hi, I'd like a Big Mac meal and what? And then they bring it and I go, no, no, wait, I don't like it like this. And wait, up, wait, I'm just going to go into the kitchen. You don't turn up into McDonald's kitchen and start cooking and you can't do that. Why? Because whatever McDonald's provides, that's what they provide. You either take it or you leave it. Same with you go to the Apple store next door, right? Hi, I'd like a computer. Oh, welcome to Apple. Uh, I'd like this and this and this. And they're like, oh, you know, we could kind of modify like this. And you know, no, no, I want this. And you start like pulling things off other computers. You know, you start putting it onto this one computer. They will call the police on you. See, for some reason, right, we know that when we go to McDonald's or when we go to Apple, we have to abide by what they provide. And yet when we go to God, we don't do that. Did you notice that? When we go to God, suddenly we provide our own conditions. God, I'm only gonna, I'm real busy this week, so I'm gonna, I'm just gonna give you 15 minutes of prayer today. You know, God, I'm, I'm kind of feeling a bit tired today, so I'm, I'm not going to worship you in, a, in an honourable position, but I, I'm just going to lie down and kind of half fall asleep in bed while listening to Pastor Steve. See, the, see, do you see the issue here? But when God built his house, and, and, and this is a point, when God built his house, it is so specific. It is so specific and he designed it, he instructed it and he's saying, build it like this because this is how I want it. And I think that's the same heart of worship that God desires from us. When we come to church, we don't come to church on our terms. You don't get to go to God on your terms. You have to work out what God's terms are. And the bottom question of this is, it's priority. It's how you prioritize, right? The way you schedule your week. Think about it, right? Today's Sunday night. Everyone does this. You think about the week that's ahead, right? What do you do first? You schedule in what? The most important thing. Isn't that the truth? You schedule in the most important thing. You look at your schedule and you go, what are the most important things that I have this week? And then you put them in, Right? And then you've got a little bit of time left over. Go, oh, I've got a bit of time left over. I'm going to then go and do this. And then you schedule in the lesser important stuff. And then after you put in everything, you, you still got a little bit of time. Then you're, okay, then I'll go to the gym. Oh, sorry, that was just me, right? Because that's usually the last thing that gets scheduled in, if it ever gets scheduled in, right? You schedule in the most important thing, and yet when it comes to God, let me ask you, does God get priority in your life? Does God get the best of your schedule? Does God get the best of your time? If we're honest, for most of us, what God gets is not priority. God gets leftovers. You got a little bit of time left? Oh, I might read my Bible today. Or, or, or you, you, you feel like you're, you're not in a good place and then you go to God. You don't give God the best. You give God whatever's left over and you think that that's honoring God. If I did that to you, 
June, I want to meet you this week. I want to have lunch with you this week because I, I, I really like you. I want to spend time with you. And June goes, sure, when would you like to have lunch? And I'm like, well, let me, maybe on Thursday, depending on how I feel and depending on the weather, and, and maybe if I've eaten or, or maybe I haven't eaten, and then if there's a little bit of left leftover time, maybe I'll give you a call, and then if you're free, and then we can meet. It, that is not honouring June. That is not telling June, June, you are a priority in my life. That is telling June, June, if I have nothing else to do that day at that time, let's meet, Right? What does that tell June? That tells June that he's worth nothing to me. It's offensive. And yet we do this to God. God, I will go to church when I have nothing else scheduled on. And I think that is a clear indication that God is not priority. Let's just call it what it is, friends, tonight. You don't go to God on his terms. You go to God on your terms. That's not, what, that's not the way God designed it. That's now how God rolls. He's the creator of the universe. You don't get to treat him like that. You need to ask yourself, are we worshipping God on our terms or are we worshipping God on his terms? I want you to think about that. Thirdly, God uses the skills and talents of the people to build the tabernacle. Exodus 35, 30 to 35. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezazel, son of Uri, and the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. And he has given both him and Ohilabab, son of Ashmak, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen and weavers, all of them skilled workers and designs. You know what? God, could not God have said, hey, I'm going to build a tabernacle, blink, and then the tabernacle's there. Surely God is the creator. God just split the Red Sea. God could create it like that, but he chooses to use the people. And he uses the skills and talents of the people. And he names two men, Bizazel and Hoilubab, because of their wisdom, understanding, and skill to lead the construction. Verse 31, but we read, and he has filled him with the spirit of God. This is recognition that God is the provider of this wisdom, understanding, and skill. Can I tell you, the church is not built. The, the, the church is not built with one person, but it is built on the many skills and, and sacrifices of the saints. At the moment, we're in our, in our Bird campus, our core team is meeting every Sunday morning. And, 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 and you know what? I would love to take credit for this. But we have, a, we have a team of about 12 or 13, and I just sit around and I look at this room filled with so many talented people. And I'm like, wow, we recruited well. You know, we won the offseason. You know, we did some great recruitment this year. But it's God that's brought this team together, and it's God that's going to use people and their skills and talents to build the church. Now, why is this important for us to understand? 
right? Now, God used those two guys to then teach other people and use the other skilled labor. What's that got to do with us today? We are those skilled people. Every single person in this room is a part of what God is building in his church. Now, every church is a bit different and every need is, is very different. But, but let me ask you, do, do you know how to mop a floor? Do you know how to empty a rubbish bin? Do you know how to smile and be friendly? God uses each and every one of us in our own skills and talents that he has given us for the sake of the church, for the sake of building the church. Now, in September, we're going to be holding working bees down in the Burl campus. Some people were going to ask, please, can you help us paint? Some people were going to ask, please, can you help us, um, you know, uh, re put, put back the kitchen door that Albert took off, which he shouldn't have taken off. Albert, why did you do Every time I look at that door, I think of you. Why did he take this door off? You know, some people were going to ask to vacuum. Some people were going to ask to draw. Some people were going to ask to create. Some people were going to ask to build. And some people were going to ask to destroy. And we're going to use each of these skills and talents to build God's church because that's how God operates. He uses the skills and talents of individuals that he has given to build his church. Question is, are you using them for God or are you using them for yourself? God did not give you talents and skills to, to uphold yourself, but it was for the kingdom. One day if you're doing that. The final observation that we need to make is the one that we, we go back to the beginning of, and it's this idea that God wants to dwell among us. We go back to the beginning of the instruction of the tabernacle, and it's the question, why did God want this to be built? Why did God want this building to be, be built, this tent to be built? And we read in Exodus 25, 8 to 9, they have there, then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Friends, unlike the gods of Egypt or the gods of this world, our God, the God of Israel, is a living God that wants to dwell amongst his people. And we see this pattern throughout the whole Bible. right? In Genesis, God created man, Adam and Eve. And we have this picture that Adam and Eve are walking in the Garden of Eden and God is walking alongside them. Do you know that's exactly why God created man? for relationship, to be in fellowship, to dwell with them. God did not create robots or he did not create some sim city land where he could just control them from afar, but he created the universe and he created man so that he could dwell with them. And that's how the idea of God dwelling with us started. Later we see in the desert, the Israelites would set up this tabernacle, this tent, and, and as you saw in the video, when the, the tabernacle was completed, God came down and dwelled in the tent and God was amongst them. See, it's really hard for us to understand this because we don't have this tent, right? But just imagine, just imagine just every time you came to church, there was this smoke that was going up and you just see the presence of God. That's what God wanted. See, as you continue to read in the Old Testament, the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God, then changes and it becomes the construction of the grand temple. 
right? The temple that, that, that King Solomon would build. And the dwelling place of God goes from the tabernacle, this temporary tent, to the temple, a, a, a more permanent structure. Now, it doesn't finish there. In the New Testament, we then see the presence of God come down to earth, not through tabernacle, not through temple, but through his son Jesus. John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of truth, uh, sorry, full of grace and truth. God sends his son Jesus. And as he sends his son Jesus, Jesus becomes that meeting place between God and man. And when Jesus ascended into heaven, he would leave the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit that would dwell inside of our hearts. And suddenly, the presence of God is not just in a, a physical location uh, and then moves to His Son, Jesus. And for all the believers who believe in Jesus, now as the Holy Spirit enters our lives, where's the Spirit of God? It's in our hearts. But that's not the final destination. As believers, as a collective, as we gather as the church, this is where the dwelling of God can now be found, in the church. Ephesians 2, 19-22, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The church, through the people of God, through the Holy Spirit, is now the dwelling place of God. Garden of Eden, tabernacle, temple, Jesus believers, the church. And all of these, all of these things are telling us the one thing, that God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, wants to dwell among us. And that's what this passage is trying to portray. That's what the tabernacle is all about. It's not just for the people of God to know about God, but they want to, that God wants them to know that God is not far away, but God is with them. And I wonder tonight, I wonder tonight if that's something that you know and believe. You know, sometimes we, it, it's hard for us to comprehend that God is with us because you're like, well, I can't see God. Uh, sometimes I don't feel God. I pray. I don't hear from God. I read the Bible, but I don't hear his voice. I just feel like I'm reading words. And I feel alone. And I feel his presence. I don't hear his voice. Where is God? But friends, the scriptures tell us over and over again, from the Garden of Eden all the way to the church, God's heart and his desire is not to be far away, but actually is to be dwelling amongst you because God is a personal God. 
God is a personal God. It's crazy to think that God, the creator of heaven and earth, the almighty, the all-powerful, the all-knowing, wants to hang out with you. I find that crazy. Why would, why would God want to hang out with me? Why would God want to dwell in our presence, a bunch of sinners, a bunch of hopeless? Well, it comes down to this. It's because he loves us. It's because he cares about us. Uh, as I said before, my, my first son had um, scored his first goal. And I don't have to go to his soccer games. I have enough social rapport with the other parents that I can go, hey, can you just take Chris and bring him back later? Right? And Chris can come back and Chris can go, hey, Dad, I scored a goal. Great job. Let's go to Macca's because that's the rule. You score a goal, we all eat Macca's. That's, that's, that's the motivation to try harder. So we had Macca's. But I choose to go, right, 7.30 in the morning. You couldn't see 10 meters in front of you because the fog was crazy. And I'm there 7.30 in the morning with all these other dads and mums, right? We're all just shivering on the sideline. Everyone's holding a coffee because, you know, someone always does the coffee run. We're, we're, we're like, for what? To watch an under-13 amateur soccer game. Is it going to change our lives? No. Is it going to change my future? No. You know, is it the most exciting game? No. But why am I there? Why am I there kicking a ball around with my son? You know, warming him up. Why am I there, you know, holding his water bottle, a towel, ready for him to come off? Why? Because I want to be where he is. I want to dwell where he's dwelling because I love him. See, for some of you, you don't understand that, right? Let me change the example, right? That was for all the married people, uh, married with kids people, right? You'll get that one. Okay, here we go. Here, okay, I, I feel like there's, there's more singles here tonight. Okay. If you like someone, you're single and you are attracted to someone, what are you going to do? You're going to go and dwell with them. End of story. Okay, that's, that's it, right? I don't even need to explain that any further, right? You like them? You want to hang out with them, right? You love them, then you really want to hang out with them, you know? It's just common sense. So what do you do? You prioritize. Oh. I See, sometimes before I tell a story, I have to ask myself, Steve, should you really be telling this story? I'll tell you this story. I have no shame. It's okay. I love you guys, and I know you won't judge me. I used to catch the train, and then I'll close with this. I used to catch the train from West Stride to North Sydney in high school. And you go through, you know, West Stride to Strathfield to Burl to Redfern City up to North Sydney. It's one train. It's 40 minutes. It's easy, simple. But there was a girl that was very pretty at the time. And um, she lived up in Hornsby. And being uh, a guy that was attracted to this girl, I, I wanted to hang out. I wanted to get to know her more. I wanted to be where she was. So what do you do? You wake up one and a half hours earlier. <laughs> <laughs> you, 
you catch the train that is going in the complete opposite direction to where you're meant to go. You sit there at the train station for 30 minutes because you don't actually know what time this girl's going to come. Right? You have an idea of what train. Is it, am I going to go to jail for this? Like, I feel like this is a stalker. And then she comes and you're like, hey, same train. What are the odds? Right? You get on the train. She's on the train for three stops. But you get to spend those three stops with her. <laughs> and then the rest of the day, it doesn't matter what happened. <laughs> right? Let's be true. See, now you are feeling me, right? Now you are understanding that heart. If it's important, if it's someone you care about, if someone you love, you go and you dwell with them. That is exactly why God wants to dwell with you, because he loves you. And that's why he sent his son, Jesus, that his spirit would go through Jesus to then be able to land in our hearts. That's how much he loves you. Friends, Jesus is where God meets us. Jesus is where God meets us. Jesus is the tabernacle. And it was his blood that paid the sacrificial price for our sins. Jesus is where we find God, a God that loves you so much, that wants to dwell in your space. Friends, I pray that you would understand the heart of God. You would accept the heart of God and receive his love and care and concern and that you would find Jesus so that you will find God. Let's pray.